When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we look back through all of human history and give you examples of people screwing up and dropping the ball so that you can learn from their mistakes and never repeat them again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. And, uh, you know, mistakes are kind of our thing. Whether we want to acknowledge them or not, it happens. Um, so joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I was making mistakes earlier today. Were you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we talked yes, about this beforehand. <laughs> so Derek had gallbladder surgery. That's right. You had it removed. Yes, yes. And uh, it was a good time. Um, I don't remember a thing. And, and uh, I'm recovering really well. So well that I forgot that I just had surgery like nine days ago and an organ removed. So I was texting on my phone and I have this habit of throwing a pillow like right here in my breastal area and mm -hmm. laying on my bed and kicking my feet up like a little schoolgirl and texting it's, away it's comfy that's yeah. why they do that it's nice and comfy i'm an old man i appreciate that kind of comfort now so when yeah. you dive onto your bed with a pillow lodged into your breast right where an incision was though uh, it's like tyson punched you and it all oh. yeah can you imagine if yeah. you did that with a british pillow like ours are filled with practically bricks you know, yeah, like, I, and we do not have soft mattresses here. Uh, well, I have a firm, a firm mattress, but I had a big oh. poofy down pillow, so I, I wasn't using one of the hard ones. That was good. Oh, shit, that would have sucked that's... real bad. But I like, I, I don't even think I went all the way down. Like I cartooned my way back up, and <laughs> Sandra just looked at me like, "What in the hell did you just do?" <laughs> I uh, actually, you know, now that you say that, it reminds me of a, a similar situation many, many years ago when I was, before we got married, when I was dating my wife, um, she, we, we both lived just above London uh, in a really beautiful city called St. Albans. And um, we just ordered Japanese food. I had this like whole platter of delicious Japanese food laid out in front of us. You had gyoza, katsu curry, edamame beans, like all of the deliciousness and stuff like that. And she was like having to choose between like um, going upstairs for a pee 
or having the food now, which she was like, so, so she ran upstairs and then stupidly she ran back downstairs again. And on the last step, she went flying and Ooh. passed out from the pain. And I had to like pinch her cheek to get her to come round again. And then we ended up in the emergency room. But before we went, she was like, can I eat some of the food before we go? I'm so hungry. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we can have some of the Japanese food and then we'll go to the emergency room. But, yeah, I know what you mean. Like in those moments when you just aren't thinking and then afterwards you're like, what the fuck? Why do I do these things? Yeah. I'm I'm a fan of your wife. I would have wanted some of the food too, for sure. It was so good. It's so good. <laughs> Japanese food is so good. And I mean, beyond sushi, like they have some really tasty shit. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really glad you're recovering. How are you finding strength-wise you are right now? Um, It's coming back really quick, Um, I think. I tend to do I overdo it a lot. I mm. I'm getting back out and doing my walking, but sure. I'm a little more gassed than normal. But yeah. I, I got to go back to my day job Monday, and <sighs> so we'll see how how I am mentally. Um, mm. miss, time, I'm missing man. my brain. Yeah. Oh, no gallbladder. That's what they took out. <laughs> <laughs> you you are on painkillers, so it's totally okay if, if you're not like as sharp as as you yeah. might normally be. I actually didn't have to do painkillers like after the first day until oh, wow. the the pillow incident today because right. I'm an idiot and that hurt bad. Well, as long as you're not bleeding from the incision, I think you're probably okay. It's just like everything's a bit tender around yeah. there, so you know. It's yeah, it was like kicking a bruise. Mm. Yeah, it, it's yeah, kind of like the when you get the wind knocked out of you, and also you've got pain afterwards. Like as long as that's it, and it's not a continuous pain. Um, speaking of pain, so I want to cover this as well because a lot of people are aware that I've not had the greatest time recently. I had to take a week off work. Um, I'd been through. I've been through a lot in the last few months, um, and last week, well, a week and a half ago now. Um, I had a moment at work where I had a cardiac incident and I'm not going to downplay the severity of it for anyone who's listening. Um, I am healing, but it was pretty bad and I have taken a long time off work and I am recovering and I hadn't realized how weak I was until myself and my wife went on some gentle walks in the countryside which kicked the shit out of me like after you've had because i'm used to crohn's disease tired which is like oh you're tired you're unwell just have a lie down have a nap maybe have something to eat or drink and then like in an hour or two you'll you'll have a bit more energy whereas this i haven't had energy for a week and whenever i've tried to do anything i've been like out of breath my heart's been messed up it's been kind of scary because i'm like 42 so that's just scary yeah. You know, yeah, and, that's that's uh, never I, good. That's that's not good. And I had heart surgery already in my life when I was much younger because I had a heart condition. And I don't want to get to a point in my life with stress where that condition comes back because it's the same condition actually. Um, Tony Blair ended up getting only his was because he like was part of some horrific decisions which led to millions of deaths. So um that'd be some stress there. That's that's some stress right there. So um I don't want to get to a point where my heart condition that was repaired using a very elaborate and very intense surgery um comes back. But yeah, I definitely um I'm looking forward to having a nice, restful, relaxing uh few weeks here. But um so we've both been in the wars 
a little bit. But actually, to introduce a little brevity, Derek, why don't you tell us about this week's <laughs> idiot, please? Well, outside of my, my surgery and stuff, I've been losing a lot of weight. And I've kind of mm. had this running joke with uh, some of my folks back here that when I get under 200 pounds, I'm going to get a skateboard and start skating again like I did back in my younger oh, days. Nice. And now I'm under 200 pounds. And I haven't gotten like a, a skateboard yet, but I'm thinking about it. And that got me thinking, hey, I wonder if there's any skateboard idiots out there. Cause like <laughs> I was a skateboard idiot when I was a kid, like a skater punk weirdo. Nice. And yes, totally there was. There's a so, bunch. <laughs> <laughs> this one, it's kind of different, I guess. Okay. Because mm. like in keeping in the, the positive path that we're on this season. This guy, um, he he did fall off the rails, but then he also turned it around. So there's a lesson here and mm -hmm. a story of redemption. Good. We like those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's extra weird because there's like some, some irony in, in his nickname and his story of redemption. Okay. I like that. And eh, I'm being uh, as non-religious as I am. Big props for this guy going super religious. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, we like a, we like right. a redemption arc. PT in the chat. We like a redemption redemption arc. Yes. All right. Absolutely. So I want I want to share with you the story of American pro skateboarder turned prison inmate turned associate pastor and once again pro skateboarder with probably the most accidentally fitting nickname of all time, Christian Christ Hosoy. Oh wow. Okay. So uh, Christian was born October 5th, 1967, somewhere in California. I uh, wasn't able to find out exactly where. His dad's name, Ivan Pops Hosoy, his mom, Bonnie Pumana Mitchell. Okay. Uh, in 1970, his parents separated, and Christian spent his formative years with his dad in Los Angeles, in and around that area, and sometimes going back to his father's home state of Hawaii. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, from from a super young age, he was like an adventurous kid, and Pops wasn't one of those kind of parents that would stand in the way of those adventures, and sure. he would kind of encourage his spirited behavior. Yeah. I mean, you're in California, so the attitude is kind of laid back compared to other places already, so Su it makes sense. Super laid back. Mm. <laughs> super laid back. <laughs> California in the 70s, man. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So... um. Christian's really well coordinated from 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 a young age, and he's almost never afraid. He's like a thrill seeker, climbing trees all the time at school, getting in trouble. And like his parents or his teachers would call his dad. And according to this one article I was reading in Sports Illustrated, um, the teachers would call pops, and he'd already have been smoking his first joint for the day. So he'd laugh it off and say, "Lady, look." If the kid ain't scared, I ain't scared. And if he ain't in any kind of trouble, let's just leave it be, you know? It sounds like so, Anthony Kiedis is dad, to be honest right. with you. <laughs> Pretty Although much. That, that went a bit differently. That was a bit weirder, but sure. I don't know that that whole story. Maybe we sh you could do that one. Uh, I'll just like, think about reasons why, um, like pinky fingers, right? Just mm -hmm. um, why would one fingernail on a pinky finger be longer than the other one? Oh, that okay. was his dad. Yeah. Oh, he liked the bumps. Yeah, he did. Sadly. 
<laughs> anyway, this carry on. But this is cool. Like this guy's like, let my kid adventure. Let him learn the world. I, I kind of I approve of that. You know, right. Well, and sometimes though the teachers would get so freaked out that they would like insist that he come get him. <clears throat> so, um, pops would take off and go pick him up. Yeah. Well, anyway, I like totally lost my spot. Okay. Painkillers are whooping my ass. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Christian took to skateboarding at a super young age as well. Uh, according to one article, as young as seven. Wow. Another, it was eight. Doesn't really matter. Still super young. Yeah. In 1979, when he was 12 years old, his dad took a job managing a skate park in part because he was super impressed with his son's own unique abilities to stay on a skateboard at the young age of like seven. That's so, so cool. he wanted to encourage it. Amazing. Um, and Christian ended up dropping out of school to help his dad manage the skate park and pursue skateboarding, obviously. It's, it, it's the 70s. Education doesn't matter. <laughs> you're still, you're going to be okay. It's the 70s. Anytime before like 1995, you could probably have dropped out of school with no qualifications and you'd still be all right. Whereas like from 1995 onwards, you're kind of fucked, basically. Yeah, I mean, unless you want to like be a congressperson. True. Um, Anyway, so Christian drops out of high school because he's skateboarding, helping his dad run the skate park. But also, he's skateboarding with, like, big names. He's hanging out with uh, Shogo Kubo, Tony Alva, Jay Adams, Stacy Peralta. Wow. Just huge names. Those guys are hanging out at the skate park. This little dude's running around skating with them. And he was something special, like, right from the start. And awesome. even Stacy Peralta recalls in this one interview saying... Christian was this teeny little kid who just had it. He had this impeccable form. Even when he was 10 years old, it was just beautiful to watch. It was wow. weird to see a kid at that age with an understanding of how to move his body through space. Yeah, and, and that's this is a weird thing. So just randomly off topic here, people talk about the five senses. Oh, and oh, what's that? Has someone got a sixth sense? Actually, you've got multiple fucking senses, like the ability to detect heat without putting your hand on it um that's like a whole sense there's a thing called proprioception so if you close your eyes and like move your fucking limbs around and jump around like you know where your limbs are without like having to look at them that's proprioception that's a totally different sense so hmm. you've got like 20 senses that just aren't covered under the basic sight sound smell taste all of that shit you know and a bunch of them are just like kind of peripheral so uh, i think that and actually it's something that should be encouraged in kids and i'm not talking about like get your kids active and stuff but like getting kids to like physically express themselves in an active way means that they actually become more coordinated it stimulates their brains they think more about placements and they become less clumsy they become more poised better balanced stuff like that like i did swimming from like the youngest age and i kind of stopped after i left high school but as a result of that you know, I've got much better balance. My lung capacity is better than it should be and stuff. So honestly, like all of these little things you can encourage your kids to do physically, it they learn it quickly when they're young, but also it stands them in such a good stead for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah. Well, think about just because you did that. Maybe that's maybe one of the reasons that you're, you know, hanging in there with the, the difficulties. With all of the shit had. that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, that's exactly how I feel. But yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I, I'm really impressed that this 10-year-old kid is obviously showing cool form. But I love that he's hanging around with the right people who are influencing him to do things in a specific way that are going to make him better. That's great. Absolutely. And yeah. <clears throat> right, uh, let's see, right around this time, he's 12 years old. The first photo of Christian gets published in Skateboarder in 1980, wow. which shows him blasting this frontside aerial out of a pool with his arms kind of extended up and back in like a nice. ballerina mid-leap pose type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's just kind of staring at the, the camera impassively with his, his lips clenched. And there's just something about that photo that's like an eerie lighting. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's like mesmerizing. Yeah. And it's super memorable. It's so memorable that it got him a sponsor like nice. almost immediately after that um, right. in 19... Well, let's see. In 1979, he was already sponsored by uh, Paul Peralta because of Stacy Peralta. Sure. But um, they didn't want him to turn pro, so he went to Dogtown Skateboards, which you know, okay. Dogtown Sea Boys with Jay Adams and Tony Alva. Yeah. Obviously, hanging out with all the right people, like you said. Um, he then went to Sim Skateboards and then turned pro at 14. Wow. Shit, man. Um. So 79 to 80 skateboarding's kind of changing. Mm. They're they're going from surfing the pool walls and riding the half pipes like waves, making mm -hmm. it like street surfing, like the Dogtown and Z Boys. Yeah. In the 80s, Christian becomes like this anointed second coming of skateboarding because he starts transforming it into this like aerial spectacle. Right, with stunts and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's joined by like people like Steve Caballero and um, Lance Mountain. And, uh, what's that one guy's name? Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, yeah, the big yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> and like you know, Tony Hawk's known for his technical abilities, like mm -hmm. doing difficult tricks and like nine hundreds and shit. Yeah. Asoy was more known for his graceful style and his unique flair. Okay, so. He, uh, most people would know Christian Soy is credited as the inventor of the Christ Air, which is oh, like wow. the like big yeah, aerial yeah. outstretched. And then he's thinking. also uh, credited with creating the Rocket Air. Okay. Where, and he's known for some of the most huge aerials. So at one point, he was the world record holder for aerial height on a skateboard. Amazing. So as a pro skateboarder, he, he started earning these major endorsements from companies like Converse and Swatch. Perfect. And then yeah. 1984, he founded uh, Hosoi Skates, which turned out to be a, a popular skateboard for a little while. Okay. And then he really started to take off in his major competition wins in 1985, which lasted all the way through 1988. Okay. And obviously he's going to develop a rivalry with Tony Hawk because they're two of the best in vertical skateboarding. Yeah. And they're kind of same age, more or less, you know, um, young guys trying to compete for the same thing. Yeah. You're going to have like competitiveness for sure. In in the 1980s, uh, they became the top names. And if Christian hadn't squandered his gifts, um, we'd probably still be watching him the same way we're watching Tony Hawk today. Shit, wow. And 
that video game that everybody plays on PlayStation might actually be Christian Hasoy's Underground and not Tony Hawk's Underground. Yeah. But by the 90s, the world of skateboarding was kind of changing and Christian wasn't changing with it at all. But... The attention moved more towards street skating and like the street courses, technical tricks, mm-hmm. and a lot of the vert attention was on technical tricks and not huge air. Yeah. And Tony adapted. Christian didn't. He Christian started winning less often and started to make some bad business decisions, got involved with skateboard companies that were failing, uh, and he started facing bankruptcy. Oh, uh, that's not good. At the same time, the party life that he had been living that you generally do when you get famous fast and young yeah. and have a good life, good money and you're an outlaw skateboarder. Um, mm. He starts losing his battle with drugs at, at this time, and the addiction is kicking his ass. In 1995, he got arrested for two minor offenses, didn't show up for court, had a, a warrant issued for his arrest. Mm. And his, his idea to avoid arrest was to just stop attending competitions and demos. Uh, and just that's going to make his low. problems worse. Yeah, well, he he also declined an invitation to the first X Games, or the first, oh. back then it was the Extreme Games. Right. Yeah. So it would have been marketed as this renewed rivalry between Hawk and Hasoy, mm. and may have brought back his career. Yeah. And he was worried about uh, an arrest for minor drug offenses, and was like, "Nah." <laughs> I can kind of see it. You know, if they're advertising your presence and you've got a warrant out, then that's like. It's a bit of a recipe for disaster there, so yeah. But take the renewed career and like it's a minor drug offense. What are you going to do? Like, like some community out. service? Yeah. Like, pick up trash. You can yeah. actually, you could generally like turn that into. I guess we're talking early days now because like the '90s was kind of a different time. But you couldn't have taken a situation like that at the time and made it into like an opportunity to publicize certain things and turn it into a positive. It wasn't always easy to do that in the nineties, but there are ways of doing it. I think it, it would have been sure. perfect, especially with the rivalry be- between Tony Hawk and him being the bad boy of skating oh, and yeah. Tony Hawk being Tony the Hawk. Yeah, yeah. That's like, and also like he's more old school. He came up with the young guys. So you've got that like kind of old school versus new school mentality thing going on. So, you know, I d- yeah, you're right. There's an opportunity there that was kind of missed. Yeah, missed it. Went into hiding instead a little bit. And then in January 2000, the law finally caught up with him in Honolulu at the airport. But it wasn't for those minor offenses. Um, he was apprehended while attempting to transport nearly 1.5 pounds or 0.68 kilograms of crystal methamphetamine from Los Angeles to Honolulu. That's a so, lot. Yeah. He was charged with trafficking with the intent to distribute. That's a, that's a big sentence. And I mean, I know it's a nonviolent drug offense, but he's looking at what 25 to life for that shit. Uh, he was sentenced to 10 years for that. He Jeez. was, he was tried, convicted, or pled guilty, and he served four of those years. He was released from the San Bernardino Central Detention Center in June of 2004. Right, yeah. While he was in prison, he married his girlfriend, who was a former nightclub dancer named Jennifer Lee, and it was cool. with her support and guidance, along with the help of her uncle, uh, Pastor Christopher Swaim, um, okay. Christian became a born-again Christian. Helpful. 
really yeah. with that name. <laughs> um, he also earned his high school diploma. Great. The one that he just didn't get to yeah. go skateboard. So yeah. he's turning things around there. In 2006, he was the subject of a documentary, The Rising Sun, that detailed his initial success and then his drug addiction, drug mm. addiction and conversion to Christianity. And following that, he joined up with um, a couple of other skater pastors and created cool. the uprising which is a skate-based ministry cool. that in 2008 was documented on a christian youth net television network and made into a reality television show great i love that uh, i guess the first season was eight episodes and followed the ministry around california and england oh that's wow ah. news to me but wow <laughs> <laughs> I, I i hadn't heard of it but good for him um, no, today, really Christian is very open and vocal on Instagram and other places about his newfound faith, and he has even become an associate pastor and has resumed his skateboarding career, taking first at the 2009 X Games 15 Skateboard Park Legends Contest. Nice. And um, so there you go. That's uh, Christian Hasoy. Christian Christ Hasoy. That's amazing. That's a really cool story. Really, yeah. really enjoyed that. Um, Deemster, Dilly Bob, one of hey. our patrons. Hey, thank you for joining us. I forgot to shout out our patrons. Damn it. Um, so, Jesse, do all Dilly that. Bob, uh, Kimberly, <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, oh the, the, and the other person. I'm so sorry. Um, so I, I've completely, like, we were talking about health stuff. And I got completely sidetracked with, with all of that. Let me let me just go through um, who are our audiences. So uh, Dilly Bob, Andrew Zavara, Kimberly Johnson, and Jesse Christ. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And if any of you guys want to support us on Patreon, follow the thing at the bottom of the screen. Or if you're listening after the fact, go to um, Patreon.com/slash/HistoriesGetGreatestIdiots, where you will get behind-the-scenes stuff like scripts and pictures and footage, but also special one-off episodes that nobody else gets except you the patrons so go there and you also get a free gift so sling us some cash make this a real deal thing for us and make us full time um and also if you want to go to our uh, social medias go to uh, instagram is at history's greatest idiots and on twitter at greatest idiots if you want to follow sorry x i've got to stop calling it twitter uh, <laughs> so sorry yeah sorry to interrupt your flow there but that's an amazing story and again um Petey, um, over in the comments, said we love a redemption arc. That's a really solid redemption arc. That's like a full circle turnaround. Yeah. We love that. So. I, I I enjoyed researching it and uh, watching skateboarding. And uh, Nice. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. And even though, like, I don't know, I'm generally um, non or even leaning towards an anti- organized religion type person say yeah i i appreciate anybody that uh, finds their way and yeah. uh any way towards comfort and and goodness yeah and like peace yeah because a lot of people with addictions just want a quiet life they just want peace in their in their world and actually the fact that he's found that now but also he's doing the thing that he loved while also doing something that he's passionate about um is is really really cool so well done um what was his name again sorry christian hasoy christian hasoy 
amazing story. So I can't really score score this guy high at all. It's another low-scoring one, but we don't mind the low-scoring ones because we've given high-scoring ones a long, long time. So I'm going to go with, like, I mean, the crystal meth trafficking thing's pretty bad, but, like... Well, and and giving up the opportunity to redo his career over a small minor offense instead. Yeah, I'm gonna go fifteen. I think. Okay. Yeah, like I'm good 15, with that. Like, yeah, and like I I feel like as time goes by and he's like one of these people that's grown into, you know, this made me the person I am today. Um, then you know he he would probably drop down to like a five. Like the the older he gets, the more helpful he he gets. Uh, the lower his score will be. But um, yeah, Christian Hasoy, really cool story. And I'm surprised that hasn't become like, because they did the film with, um, what was it? Uh, uh, with what's his name? Heath Ledger, Kings of. Oh, Lords. Town? Yeah. Dogtown Z Boy, Lords of Dogtown. Yeah, uh, yeah. With, that one. Lords of, yeah. That was with Tony, uh, Jay Adams, Tony Alva, all the people, yeah. the, the dudes he was skating with. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they put that into a film. But actually, Christian Hasoy's life is interesting enough to be ripe for, rife for like a really cool Netflix biopic. It doesn't have to be, you know, you can do that in 90 minutes. You could knock that out relatively easily. So, I mean, if they're doing one about Leonard Bernstein and that's kind of quite boring in places, then. <laughs> Like I'd, I'd watch Christian Hasoy's life story. That's that's a really cool one. Hell yeah! And um, one person I don't think is likely to get a biopic made because it's just like you would know what was going to happen. You'd be the the only person that wouldn't know what was going to happen is the the subject of the biopic. I'm going to go on to my guy now, and I suspect <laughs> he's scoring. I suspect he's scoring higher than fifteen. So let's talk about Franz Reichelt. The Flying Tailor. So I, I kind of publicized it. I've kind of spoiled this slightly, a little bit in advance. I said that he was the original Batman. Okay. Um, and there's an image of him on the thumbnail for this video. So if you, and and podcast as well. So if you check that out, you'll see why. Because his his pose while he's wearing his uh, Reichelt suit is very much like Batman. And I was immediately like, given what he's famous for, there's definitely a Batman element to this. But let me tell you the story of Franz Reichelt, the flying tailor. Franz Karl Reichelt was born on the 16th of October, 1878, in Wegstadt, Kingdom of Bohemia, in Austria-Hungary today, which is uh, now Steti uh, of the Czech Republic. So after the breakup of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Czech Republic, well, it was initially Czechoslovakia, and then it became the Czech Republic. So... Um, that's where it is now. And he was born to Joseph Reichelt and Katharina Reichelt nie Gauger. So um, very much like um, ethnic uh, Czech people within a much larger empire. And that's the Austro-Hungarian Empire was already starting to fragment at this point in time. And this is like still 30 years, well, 25 years before the First World War when everything was really starting to fragment. So um, he's kind of in a difficult spot, really. Little is known about his early life, but in 1898, so he would have been 20 years old, Franz moved to Paris, France. And Paris, at the turn of the century, that is the place to be. Like, this is like... It's popping. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of cool artists around there. 
There's a bunch of really amazing movements happening. Everyone's got gonorrhea. It's just the place <laughs> to be. Uh, <laughs> he obtained a uh, French nationality in 1909. So he had to live there for 11 years, um, adopting the first name Francois, uh, the French equivalent of the Germanic friends. So he became Francois Reichelt. Uh, just throwing this out there for people who are looking to move, to gain citizenship in, say, France. Um, you have to live there in the country for a minimum of five years before you apply for citizenship, and you have to take a test, and they also have to assess whether you are, like, a decent person, whether the French want you or not. But actually, um, like most European countries, if you live there for five years continuously, you can apply for citizenship, and you, you can become a dual citizen. Some places, like Gibraltar, you could become a citizen in three years. So, uh, but that's just, that's a fucking rock in, in the fucking Mediterranean. So maybe, maybe go somewhere a bit bigger. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to become French, and maybe have the right to live there and enjoy all of the wonderful stuff that the French people do, like socialized medicine and support for your family, uh, live there for five years and just throwing that out there. Do you have um, to change? You have to change your name to be French sounding, though. No, but he I. just did. No, you do not. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> he just did it to uh, blend in because obviously, like, it's the turn of the century, Austro-Hungarian. There's like empires and tensions and stuff. Like, he's just trying to fit in. It's the same way. Um, is isn't it Czechia now? Yes, it is Czechia now, Pete. Good point. Yeah, it was the Czech Republic. I'm showing my age here, but it is Czechia now. Um, so yeah. Um, he um he's trying to blend in i think it's kind of the same way a lot of germanic people changed their name when they came over to america after the war or like jewish people changed their names to maybe like get more business in certain parts of the world and it it's sad that it happens but it does happen unfortunately anyway um one of his sisters may also have come to France and been married to a jeweler there, but newspaper reports differed on the details of his family life, with most reporting that his sisters stayed in Vienna, which is also a cool place to stay. Um, oh, Vienna. Uh, you might be wondering why newspapers were interested in this guy. Well, we'll get to that in a bit. But okay. he starts out really good. Uh, Reichelt himself was unmarried. He took an apartment on the third floor at 8 Rue Galon, near the Avenue de l'Opera. What do you think happens on that road? Uh, yeah. Operas? Operas, yes. <laughs> and he decides, and actually this is a really good district for him as well, because operas are drawing a lot of people. People will travel, at this point in time, they'll travel around the world to see like famous operas and opera houses and stuff. So they'll go from country to country to like, oh, I'm going to go to the Parisian opera or, or the, you know, wherever, like the, the Viennese opera and what have you. Um, and from 1907, he opened what was to become a successful dressmaking business, catering mostly to Austrians on trips to Paris, usually to go to the opera. So ah. he's really close to the opera and it's like an event, you know, like if somebody goes on like, I'm trying to think of an equivalent now, but basically it's like a social event. So these, everyone's going to the opera. Everyone's going to be seen by like all of the other people that are going to the opera. They're all moving in certain circles and they need to look good for these like social events. So he's making dresses for them and he's really close to the opera. So it's super convenient for the people who are visiting from out of town. They might get a hotel nearby. He can be on there. He can do a fitting in the hotel. 
you can go back to his place, make the dress, come back. Super convenient. Great business so idea. He's like the, the dress designer for the Met Gala, but in Paris at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And he's catering. He's done a really smart thing and super, super specialist and niche, which like is my thing like it's certainly something i've been involved with in the last like five years is that he's cornering a really specific market like it will be austrian people visiting paris because they'll have like a the viennese fashion very different from parisian fashion so like it'll be more um ornate and less like kind of egalitarian so he's like making it a bit more elaborate and also it's the opera so you can have a bit more flourish in there you know a bit more flair so really smart decision and his business takes off he does really really well with it from 1910 from 1910 it wasn't enough though like he's got this super successful business he would have been one of the foremost dressmakers in all of paris for a very specific market but it wasn't enough he had this like desire to be an inventor uh oh. Uh, yeah. The problem with the desire of being an inventor around the early part of the 20th century is that it's mostly about showmanship. I mean, if you look at someone like Edison, who is one of the greatest thieves of all time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's mostly about the show. And there's elements of P.T. Barnum in these inventors where they're like, they realize that people, you know, are still somewhat uneducated. They're not going to be able to understand the science and they're not going to appreciate the knock on effects that their inventions have. So they have to sell this shit to a wider right. audience. And this guy is very much not science, but very much a showman. So he begins to develop a parachute suit. Oh boy. Yeah. So not just like a parachute. Think about any parachute. You pull a cord, it pops out the back, flies up. You slowly glide to the ground and maybe break your ankle. You know, like the basic parachute. He's decided that it has to be a suit because he's a fucking tailor. So of course it has to be a suit. Is he he making a flying squirrel suit? Almost. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, if you look up, I, I should have got pictures. I didn't. I think I downloaded one for the thumbnail. But again, if you look at Franz Reichelt, the first thing that will come up is his fucking flying squirrel Batman costume. Um, and it's like, I have to describe it to you now a suit that was much more bulky than the one normally worn by an aviator. But with the addition of a few rods, a silk canopy, and a small amount of rubber that allowed it to fold out to become what Reichelt hoped would be a practical and efficient parachute. So it's made of silk and rubber. Basically sounds like he's made a bondage outfit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's like made something that, and also like, I understand the need for silk. Silk is super delicate. I don't know the tensile strength of silk. I don't think it's very high. So he probably I... would be better going for cotton. I think. I mean, well, I'm trying to. There it is, <laughs> the Reichel parachute. He's it. There's so much Batman shit going on there. Like, and sorry to the people who are listening on podcasts after the fact, but look at that. Would you jump out of? And, and also, we'll get to it in a minute. This isn't like a, a super high level parachute. This is for low level evacuations. Would you jump out of no. anything wearing that? No. It's, it's like strapped to him with like seatbelts. <laughs> no. There's a lot of like additional shit there. And he's got like stuff around his ankles as well. Like knee pads. He's got like kick pads on his legs. What the fuck, man? Oh, Definitely a Batman like thing. Going booties. On. Yeah, little booties <laughs> on the bottom. There. He's got gloves. He's got oh, like man. 
bingo wings flapping out of his arms like oh my god like that is uh, he's crazy oh this yeah. can't go this can't go well well <laughs> we'll get to it now the dawn of the aviation age brought inevitable accidents coupled with a growing interest in safety measures most notably in the development of an effective parachute Early parachute successes, such as those of Louis Sebastian Lenormand and Jean Pierre Blanchard, had successfully used um, fixed canopy parachutes already open before the jump began. So it's already like fucking rigid. You're not going anywhere with that. And Andre Jacques Garnerin, Garnerin had invented a frameless parachute suitable for use from high altitude, so over like a thousand feet, basically. But by okay. 1910, there was still no parachute suitable to use in a jump from a plane or at low altitude, which is the majority of the time you need that shit. Like it's great. You can jump out at high altitude and and come to a nice gentle landing, but in an emergency situation, that's not going to cut it. Like you're not going to have time to like put stirrup A into B and like, you know, like (laughs) planes on fire, like that ain't working. Hey, these damn Ikea parachutes are so hard to put together. Oh, there goes my instructions. What's a slingle? <laughs> Where am I supposed to? <laughs> They've forgotten the screw. Oh, uh, well, we're in the ground now. Early base jumpers had to make do with like throwing themselves off ladders and like landing in sand <laughs> for the briefest of kicks because there's nothing to like help them here. They're just like oh. kids in a playground. Anyway, Reichelt seems to have become more interested in parachute design after hearing some of the stories of fatal accidents among the early aeronauts and aviators, which is basically like 80% of all aviators at this point are dying because like the planes are shit. They're made of like paper and flammable liquids and they're just like they're flying for like a few miles a few hundred feet in the air and then they're just fucking bursting into flames and dying uh (laughs) pete with a good point here uh you're constructing your parachute and you've left the allen key behind that would be so fucking funny the angle thing um so basically he's he's spurned on by all of these tragic accidents it's unclear if he managed to make his prototype work but it actually is that he didn't make it work. Um, according to the caretaker of Reichelt's building, as quoted by Le Petit Parisien, great name for a newspaper, yeah. the little the little Parisian, um, he had some success early in the process with mannequins fitted with silk wings th- uh, thrown from the building's fifth story. However, no other testimony can be found corroborating her assessment. So... Even if it's true, it's a mannequin. That's it's not really going to cut it. Is Still, it? can you imagine just being the poor bastard walking on the street that day? What the hell? Loads past you. What is happening up there? <laughs> um, most newspapers quoting frequent observers of his experiments instead affirm that he never managed to achieve a functioning prototype for any iteration of his parachutes designs. This seems much more believable. The idea of multiple people walking past his apartment, watching him throwing random junk out of his fucking window covered in silk and rubber. It, it's it's a much more believable story. Like picking picking up the mannequins like, why does this one have a ball gag? Yeah. Mouth? Like, oh this aerodynamicism. Well why does this one have a <laughs> testicle weight? Oh that's ballast. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um have it, you know, even it out with the you ball. Got, you gotta make sure it evens out so I've attached weights to its bollocks, you know? Um uh, d- uh, hello um Detness, did, 
uh, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your name. Hello and welcome to the stream. Um, so going back to his original design, his original parachute design used six square meters, 65 square feet of material and weighed 70 kilograms or 150 pounds. That's a person. That's another fucking person on your back. No wonder this didn't work. That's silk? Silk and rubber and probably oh, testicle weights and God. whips and stuff. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> no wonder it's not working. Like, you've got all this apparatus and you're trying to use, like, lightweight materials, but it's still 150 pounds. Like, most people weighed that at this point in time. That's yeah, crazy that's, heavy. That's insane. Stupid. No wonder just, all these fucking dummies are falling to their doom. He's just throwing 300 pounds. Uh, how many people did he kill testing? I know. He was like a menace, this guy. He was fucking <laughs> terrifying. Um, so he presented his design. He presented his designs to the leading aeronautic organization, La Ligue Ariane, at the Aero Club de France, hoping that they would uh, test it. But they rejected his designs on the grounds that the construction of the canopy was too weak and attempted to dissuade him from spending any further time developing this parachute. They're like, listen, dude, you are not that guy. This isn't yeah. going to work. <laughs> yeah. They used the excuse that the thing was too weak. They were really like, dude, our planes can't lift 300 pounds. Are you crazy? Exactly. They're fucking made of paper. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and like, listen, look, you're going to die. But like, it's, it's like Norman Osborn. In the fucking first Spider-Man film, like, oh, my goblin suit will work. The military will love it. Like, no, Norman, you look like a fucking <laughs> flying green dildo. You're going to die in this thing. <laughs> no, he wouldn't hear of it. Reichel nevertheless persevered and conducted experiments, dropping dummies from the courtyard of his building at Rue Gallon. So he's driving away his business at this point. Like, who wants to buy a, a fucking fancy dress when this guy's throwing dummies out? That are covered yeah. in bondage gear. Like, Jesus, no. None of his tests proved successful, just smashing dummies everywhere. Um, yeah. In 1911, a Colonel Lalance wrote to the Aero Club de France offering a prize of 10,000 francs for a safety parachute for aviators, double the prize he'd offered the year before. I think 10,000 francs is like, it's, I mean, the franc was always weak. Like, you could get like, 10 pounds will get you like a thousand francs it's one of those like kind of trash oh. like currencies but like at this point in time ten thousand francs that's like a life-changing amount of money that's like okay. you can live comfortably for the rest of your life um the competition was open for three years and stipulated that the parachute must weigh no more than 25 kilograms so he's way off on this point okay he's like, yeah. yeah he's gonna ditch the rubber yeah, ditch all of the, the kinky shit and just make something that works, man. Uh, Reichelt refined his design, reducing the weight while increasing the surface area of the material until it reached 12 square meters or 130 square foot. That's a fucking huge parachute. But his tests were still unsuccessful and his dummies invariably fell heavily to earth. Any sane person would give up at this point, but not old Frankie over here. This guy is in it for the long run come hell or high water and boy is it about to get dark um le oh. sweet eclair reported in 1911 that reicheld had personally jumped from a height of eight to ten meters that's 26 to 30 feet at joinville the attempt failed but a pile of straw helped him escape injury when they say a pile of straw i'm picturing like 30 feet of straw 
and a guy just like one foot above it just like jumping off and just plummeting down like to the yeah. bottom because like it would have he's wearing he's still wearing like extra kilos on his back and he's a full grown man so yeah twist an ankle like no injuries because he had the straw he had like yeah. half a like half a county's worth of straw to break <laughs> his fall he ever jumped into straw though? He would have had some injuries, man. He'd have had yeah, it, like scratches it in your fucking ass and your leg and shit like that. That hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, Le Matan reported an attempt at Nogent from a height of eight meters, twenty six feet, that resulted in a broken leg. Didn't stop him. He d- he just carried on. He's like, ah, it's only a broken leg. I'll be fine in a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, Le Petit Journal suggested that Reichheld also made at least two um, apparently inconclusive tests with dummies from the first deck of the Eiffel Tower during 1911, but an interview with one of his friends in La Presse made it clear that he had been unsuccessfully applying for permission to conduct a test from the tower for over a year before he finally received the authorization for the final jump. Here it comes. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So he thought this shit doesn't work from 20 feet. What we I need, need to, to go do is go higher. That's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. I can't believe it. And it, we said it in jest. He <laughs> thought that's what was the problem. Is I don't have enough height. That's the issue here. Oh. There is no science in this experiment at this point, but he's doing it anyway. Um, there had been other tests from the tower bet- uh, during 1910 and 1911, though. Um, Gaston Hervier, who in, uh, employed a dummy aircraft and mannequins in his experiment, was attempting to perfect a parachute design to ensure the safe landing of a pirate pilot. Sorry, not pirate. That would be that cool. That would be cool, uh, though. Yeah. With all of <laughs> all of. Uh, all or part of a damaged aircraft. Reichel attributed the previous failures of his design, at least in part, to the short drop distance over which he'd been conducting his tests. Literally what you just said, Derek. So he was keen to Uh. receive permission to experiment from the tower. It's not my designs that are fundamentally flawed. I swear. Um, So Reichel announced to the press in early February 1912 that he had finally received permission and would shortly conduct an experiment from the Eiffel Tower to prove the value of his invention. On Sunday, the 4th of February, at 7am, Reichel arrived at the tower. That's too fucking early to do anything. Um, by yeah. car, he arrived at the tower by two... Sorry, go on. He, did he have breakfast first? That's. I mean, you, you would you would hope so, but I guess like he's trying to lighten the load, so maybe he like he didn't have breakfast, but 7am... He didn't eat that early. No, and like I guess he's thinking the winds aren't going to be quite as strong at 7 a.m. He was wrong. Um, yeah. Uh-oh. Reichel arrived at the tower by car with two friends. He was already wearing the parachute suit. I feel like you should probably have not worn it in the car and then stepped out into the cold environment, like <laughs> steps out fucking sideways on with all the kinky oh. shit on him. Uh, the news footage of his jump shows him modeling his invention in its folded form which uh, Le Gaulos described as only a little more voluminous than ordinary clothing. I mean, yeah, we've seen the picture. It's not that different from ordinary clothes, especially at the time. So yeah, better like holding his jacket up at the back and jumping off. Yes, probably. And just FYI, there is actual footage of this insanity available online. Be warned. It's really grim. So I just don't understand. 
Okay. <laughs> it, get, it gets really bad. It gets really, really bad because like, we already know what's going to happen, right? But he had ample opportunity to stop. The suit did not restrict the wearer's movements when the parachute was packed. And Le Petit Parisien described the method of deploying the parachute as simple as extending your arms out to form a cross with the body. Like, help me, I'm fucking falling to my oh, death. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. But... <laughs> Well, did he? Did he? Was he out of dummies? I, I'm. I, was he? I he was out of mannequins. This is the thing, right? <laughs> you know, you know. We've talked about people in the alt right and Alex Jones and stuff who just start to believe their own bullshit. Oh. I think it's that because you're about to see. He's like, I will prove all of you wrong, and by all, he literally means the dozens of people that are trying to stop him from doing this on the day and before the day. Um, yeah, so once extended, the outfit resembled a sort of cloak fitted with a vast hood of silk. So, Batman. Um, according to Le Temp, L'Action Francais reported that um, Reichelt st uh, stated the surface area of the final design to be 30 square meters or 320 square feet, which is bullshit. Like, we saw the picture. There's no way there's that much stuff there. And the canopy height of 5 meters, while Le Figaro judged the surface area uh have uh, have reached 32 square meters or 340 square feet like maybe it's a grower may, yeah it's a grower not a shower um <laughs> no wonder he was so voluminous probably still weighed a shitload though lacroix claimed that the suit had uh suit may have weighed as little as nine kilograms or 20 pounds which is pretty close i think possibly even less than like modern day parachutes at this point but what is he sacrificed to get it down to that weight you know like any sort of aerodynamic yeah, stuff. Yeah. The stuff that holds it together. Yeah, the stuff that breaks the actual fall. Uh, <laughs> the weather was cold with temperatures below zero degrees centigrade or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So oh. probably should have waited until midday when the fucking sun was up. And there was a stiff breeze blowing, uh, blowing across the Champ de Mars. Uh, so less than ideal conditions for a rapid deployment of delicate fabric when it's like freezing cold weather. Like that shit will tear in those kind of conditions. You know? Yeah, and, and he was wearing it in the car, getting all warmed up. Getting all sweaty and nervous and then stepping out into the freezing cold. Yeah, not good. Some police officers were present to maintain order as the Paris Police Prefe Prefecture, say that three times fast, given <laughs> Reichel permission to proceed. That's five Ps, for fuck's sake. Um, Louis <laughs> Le Pan... <laughs> who was the prefect of police was ultimately responsible for the permission being granted, issued a statement making it clear that while the police routinely gave permission for experiments to be performed from the Eiffel Tower, it was understood in these cases that the dummies were to be used. And, yeah. They had given permission in Reichel's case only on the basis that he be conducting the experiment with dummy drops and that under no circumstances would they have allowed him to proceed if they had known he would be making the jump himself. Lapin, uh, Lapin, whatever, that, that was funny, um, assured Lacroix that he never signed an order that allowed a live jump. However, from his arrival at the tower, Reichelt made it clear that he intended to jump himself. Well, he's wearing it. He's like, I mean, I'm not a dummy, so I'm jumping. Uh, maybe. According to a later interview with one of the friends who accompanied him up the tower, this was a surprise to everyone. 
as Reichelt had concealed his intention until the last moment. He hadn't even told them in the car that he was jumping. But he's he wearing. Was wearing it. And I was like, well, what's this going on here, mate? You look a little bit different today. Like, oh, no, this is a choice. Leave me alone. Like, I like giant hoods made of silk and rubber. And, and you know, ignore the ball gag. That's just part His of the outfit. His friends are just as dumb as him. It's really are. But actually, once they realized, they were like, he's not going to. It's part of, it's a publicity stunt. He's like wearing it for the press so they can take pictures so that they can like, the dummy will successfully do it and they can see what it'll look like on a man. And that's probably how he sold it. But then he got there and was like, I'm fucking jumping. And they're like, oh, God, no, we thought this might happen. But Jesus. Um, okay. Friends, that makes sense. Yeah. His friends tried to persuade him to use dummies in the experiment, assuring him that he would uh, have other opportunities to make the jump himself, which is true. Like, this is an initial test. The, the, the press will come back once you've whetted their appetite with some successful dummy tests. When this failed to make an impression on him, they pointed out the strength of the wind and he should call off the tests on safety grounds or at least delay it until the wind dropped. They were unable to shake his resolve, seemingly undeterred by the failure of his previous tests. He told journalists from Le Petit Journal that he was totally convinced that his apparatus would work and work well. No President Kennedy, air conditioning and a hard bulletproof roof are no alternative to being able to wave to your voters. Let's just leave the top down. Ah... <laughs> uh. well, when questioned as to whether he planned to take any additional precautions, such as using a safety rope, so even the press, like, maybe you want to use a rope, mate. Maybe you want to attach a rope to your back in case, like, you fucking plunge. Um, he replied that he would not, since he, in he intended to trust his life entirely to his parachute. I want to try the experiment myself, and without trickery, as I intend to prove the worth of my invention. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like no, no like his mates are trying to dissuade him the police are trying to dissuade him the press are pointing out that maybe a rope just in case even yeah. god's like listen it's cold and fucking windy do not jump now and he's like ah it's fine send That's some fine. rain yeah look, <laughs> give me some hail make it a challenge um <laughs> who who was present to witness the demonstration also attempted to dissuade Reichel from making the jump he was concerned that the parachute needed longer to fully open than the few seconds the drop from the first platform would allow and he also presented other technical objections to which Reichel could not provide a satisfactory response Reichelt finally replied that you are going to see how my 72 kilos and my parachute will give your arguments the most decisive of denials. Dear God. Mm. Weighing himself so, the night before. Oh, the night before? I guess so, yeah. Like did he's he 155 it? pounds or something. Like it's 160 pounds. So he did it with the suit on, though? <laughs> I hope not. With no. and without? With and without, yeah. And a poo between as well. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. So good. he's doing this from the first platform. First platform, 180 feet. God, that's way taller than I thought it was. Yeah. It's, it's, it fools you. If you've ever been to the Eiffel Tower, you look up and you think, oh, that's not that high. It's really fucking high, um, the first strut. And getting there is a mission as you will find out now. Um, ropes had been suspended between the legs of the tower by the police at Reichelt's request to prevent the crowds from spilling onto the landing zone, um, which I, 
I actually think maybe that would have helped or probably he would have taken people with him. Um, yeah. And he spent some time discussing the arrangements with the marshals and ensuring that there was uh, sufficient space for his landing before going to the stairs to climb the first platform. Kind of similar to how like public executions had to be stopped because they were just too popular. That's basically what we've got here is that people are like, oh my god, he's not really going to fucking jump, is he? I'm hanging around for this. Oh my god. Um, according too. to Le Petit Parisien, Reichelt's initial attempt to ascend to the first stage of the tower was blocked by a guard named Gassion, who had witnessed previous unsuccessful dummy drops and feared that Reichelt's attempt would end in disaster. I don't believe in God. We've mentioned this in a previous one, but uh, every he's getting every sign at this point. Even a guard who has no scientific background is like, listen, mate, I've seen it not work with dummies, and you are fatter than a dummy. Do not do this. You know? Right. Like, why did he still let him go, though? Yeah. Uh, it's because this guy is so convinced. And I, Just arrest I, I, I him. Know. Yeah, or knock him out. You know, like a concussion will do. Um, but you know, it, he was not to be deterred. Reichelt, who was visibly shaken by his argument with the guard, was allowed to mount the tower with his two friends and a cinematographer. Another was stationed near the foot of the tower to record the jump from below, and that's the footage you can view on YouTube, and it is disturbing. As eek. Reichelt climbed the go on, what were you gonna say? Uh, I said, eek, and I'm gonna go watch it too. And I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm didn't. it's 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 I'm kind of it's, it's dark, but you'll have seen worse on the internet. I, I trust it. Oh, uh, yeah. As Mike climbed the stairs, he paused, turned back to the crowd because he hadn't like showed off to them enough at this point. Raised his hands and wished them a cheery "See you soon." Nah. Oh. His friends continued to try to talk him out of the jump while he's walking up to the first floor. He was completely undeterred. Undeterred at eight twenty-two a.m. So we're almost an hour and a half later. Um, observed by a crowd of about 30 journalists and curious onlookers, Reichel um, readied himself facing towards the Seine on a stool placed on a restaurant table next to the interior guardrail of the tower's first deck. A little more than uh, 57 meters or 187 feet above the ground. Uh, no. After adjusting his apparatus with the assistance of his friends and checking the wind direction by throwing a piece of paper from a small book, this science, listen. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> that'll that, that tells throw, you everything you need to know. Throw a fucking hanky out there, you know? Why not? You know, we're beyond science at this point. Totally gonna work. Look, look at that paper. Go. Look, look at that. Look, I'm chucking pages of Moby Dick out there. It's fine. Um, he placed one foot on the guardrail, hesitated for about 40 seconds. That must have felt like a fucking lifetime, those 40 seconds, where he's like, am I an idiot? I'm going to yes. die, aren't I? No, I'll be fine. Um, then leapt outwards. According to Le Figuero, he was calm. <laughs> he was calm and smiling before he jumped. His parachute, which had seemed to be only half open, folded around him almost immediately, and he fell for a few seconds before striking the frozen soil at the foot of the tower. He basically became Oof. a BDSM lawn dart, mm. which, uh, not good. Uh. Le Petit Parisien reported that Reichel's right leg and arm were crushed. His skull and spine were broken and that he was bleeding from the mouth, nose and ears. So basically his head had exploded. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, Oof. gross. They also noted that his eyes were wide open and dilated, meaning he realized just how Oops. fucked he was on the way down. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, he was already dead by the time onlookers rushed to his body, but he was taken to the Nekla Hospital, where he was officially pronounced dead, and then onto a police station in Rue Amélie before being returned to his home in Rue Galon. Edouard Lonet, writing in the summer supplement of Liberation in 2009, mentioned that an autopsy concluded that Reichheld had had a heart uh, a heart attack on the way down and died before he hit the ground. I don't believe that. I believe that he was alive all the way down, or at least long enough to shit his pants, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that that's just the story they tell you to make you feel better about that, you know. Like, he... But he he felt all of that shit and then like probably lived for about three seconds after he hit the ground. He's like, ah, my God, what the fuck was I thinking? Gone. Yeah. Well, with, what is that joke that they say? It's not the fall that kills you. It's that sudden stop at the end. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, in his case, it was a cold sudden stop as well. And Oof. he couldn't see because he was wrapped in silk and bondage gear. So like he was I mean, unawares. At least he was all wrapped up. And at least, like, it was soft on his cheeks, you know, the silk. That would have been quite gentle. Yeah, man. Uh, the That's next so day's yeah, it's dark. But it gets weirder um, and oh. more sad. He doesn't come back and oh. try it again. Like, he just, oh, good. doesn't like a zombie jumper or anything like that. That'd Isn't be it cool. better to be unaware, Pete? I think I agree with you. I think it might be better to be unaware. Or to, like, just, like... I mean, I just had, like, a minor cardiac event this week. I think maybe, like, a minor cardiac event... And then you like you stop feeling for a while. Yeah, that would have been better, to be honest with you. Um, the next day's newspapers were full of the story of Reichelt's tragic experiment, com uh, complete with photographs and at least four newspapers: Le Petit Parisien, Le Matin, Le Croix, and La Humanité um, showed images of the fatal jump. First of all, I'm not sure how tragic this is or how much of an experiment it was because they called it a tragic experiment. Um, it barely passes as anything other than a publicity stunt, really. And I don't know how tragic it can be with the amount of warning he was given. Maybe they meant it was a tragic that they called it an accident. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, tragic <laughs> that they called it an experiment. Yeah, tragic. There's no expect. This is just some guy jumping off the Eiffel Tower at this point. Um, film of the attempt including footage of Reichelt's body being removed and the onlookers measuring the depth of the crater he left behind. Oh, yeah. that's sick. 15 centimeters or six inches. Oh, my God. That's a deep crater. Dude. Ladies, the men will tell you it's six <laughs> inches. But it's actually about 15 centimeters. Um, <laughs> was distributed by news organizations. Initial reports speculated on Reichelt's state of mind. None assumed he'd been suicidal, but many called him reckless or foolish. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. A journalist in Lagaula, Lagaoli, Okay, uh, suggested that only half the term mad genius applied to Reichelt, although the same report included an interview with one of his friends who claimed that the tailor had felt pressured into giving a dramatic demonstration to attract sponsors without whom he would not expect to make a profit before any patent expired. Don't do it then. Just go back to dressmaking. Yeah. Stop, man. Good. Yeah, like... 
you could have still done dramatic stuff with the mannequin, like put it in one yeah. of your dresses. That is a great publicity stunt right there, Derek. Honestly, chuck one of the mannequins out from like a six-story window in one of your dresses and maybe attach a parachute you've been working on at the same time. See if it works. If it doesn't work, people still see the marveling of your tailoring from diff two different aspects. Really great story right there. Would live for a few years. You'd make a bunch of money and retire. You wouldn't be talked about 125 years later because you're some fucking idiot that's deluded yourself into jumping off a giant building. Like, yeah, I just uh, don't understand. Like the whole concept of scale tests just fucking. And like we're talking like before controlled lab environments. Like there is no. Think about the safety precautions. Think about this. What's an alternative that we can use to this? It's just, I'm going to fucking do it. And that's science because I say it is like, uh, no. I it's feel like not. that's coming back though. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Also, like, I'm not in favor of harming animals or anything, but like, maybe try it with a pig or something, you know, or a sheep. Better than jumping off the damn Eiffel Tower yourself. I mean, you know, that's a striking enough image in itself. It's probably an album cover that Led Zeppelin would have used if it had worked. But, like, fucking do that instead, mate, and then next time do it. Or, like, dummy, then pig, then human. Instead of doing it the reverse way. Anyway, Reichelt was uh, death was the first to result from a parachuting accident since... Since... This has happened before. Charles LaRue died giving a demonstration in Tallinn in 1889. Here comes the saddest part of this whole fucking stupid-ass story. On the 2nd of February, 2012, two days prior to Reichelt's fatal jump, an American steeplejack called Frederick R. Law had successfully parachuted from the viewing platform of the Torch of the Statue of Liberty, 223 feet or 68 meters above sea level and 151 feet, 46 meters from the base of the statue, seemingly on a whim. So two days before this guy killed himself attempting to create a parachute that would work at low altitudes, it had already been created. <laughs> uh, whoops oh, i like that the other dude tested it over like water so yeah actually, well yeah kinda. exactly he's like if if it's going wrong maybe i can like aim for the water or whatever but also like he's he's doing this on a whim he's like i know it'll work i'll do it it's very that's very like 1912 america right there like i know it'll work everything's going great for our country at the moment fuck it and it works and it just like that's the american luck at the turn of the 20th century like we know it'll work we have faith in it and it works and now we're going to make a shitload of money off it so i'm just willing to bet that that guy did like scale tests and shit beforehand he's like i'm gonna try it with a rock and a potato and like and then Egg. scale it up with yeah like and then i'm gonna try it with this safe and yeah. you know yeah but actually, he's like, nah, I'm doing it on a whim. But actually, he's been testing it for three years or whatever. Hell yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. That's the only way you do shit on a whim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, on the 6th of February, Lacroix added a footnote to the report on Reichelt's death. Another parachuting experiment was to take place on either the 18th or the 25th of February at Jussi sur Orange, um, in which the aviator Camille Guilherme 
plan to leap from the Bleriot monoplane at a height of 300 meters or 980 feet to test a parachute design. The plane would be allowed to crash. He's just like, fuck the plane. Just it'll land where it lands. Wow. <laughs> I know. Yeah, okay. Do it After over like, a city. I know, yeah, just like, yeah, let's do it over Paris. I mean, it's, it could do with demolition in some parts. After Reichelt's death, authorities became weary of granting permission for any th- further parachute experiments using the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, no shit. Like, is anyone surprised by that? My yeah. God. Though they continue to grant permissions for parachute dummy drops, some hopeful inventors, such as a man named Dan Blanc, who wished to try his helicopter parachute, that sounds even worse Oh my god, I just pictured like Inspector Gadget. <laughs> yeah, it is. Inspector <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gadget. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this guy wanted to do it from the second platform. But um, he was refused uh, permission to conduct tests. And even applications for aviation experiments not involving the tower came under renewed scrutiny because they're like, listen, this fucking guy, like, we're not having another one of those. I don't care if there's nobody in the plane. You're still not doing it. So. Yeah, stop jumping off of shit. Stop jumping out of shit. <laughs> I feel stay like, on the ground. I feel like the Parisian <laughs> authorities became like that parent. Like after their kid jumps off the bed and breaks their leg, they're like, "Listen, you are not jumping from anything for a few fucking years." Like, and then like you'll be out in the park, and they're like, "Uh, uh, uh, no." <laughs> yeah. Coming back down. Uh, more recently, the tower has become the scene of a number of illicit base jumps. I mean, this doesn't surprise me at all, especially like we now have good parachutes. That shit yeah. works now. Got squirrel um, suits now. Exactly. Like you could fucking fly over Paris these days. Um, I could do it and survive. A Norwegian man died ooh, in 2005 after losing his canopy uh, while attempting a promotional jump for a clothing firm. The first parachute death at the tower since Reichardt's almost like 100 years. That's... Um, However, a sanctioned stunt jump for the 1985 James Bond film A View to a Kill was successful. Um, And that's actually... uh, Is it the last uh, Roger Moore one or is it the first Timothy Dalton one? Anyway, it's Grace Jones... Uh, character and actually she's wearing an outfit that's not dissimilar to what this guy was wearing um huh. so that's kind of cool i remember it it's really cool there's a whole like chase sequence down the eiffel tower and like people get shot at and then someone jumps off the eiffel tower and this is a really cool bond sequence so did they you think they made it look like it sort of on purpose a little bit like a, <laughs> yes, hey, like, remember that guy like, ah, that? flapping his arms around <laughs> No, uh, I, I, ironically, I think Grace Jones is the only person I would like. Yeah, you know, this six foot two inch supermodel. Yeah, like they'll be fine because like she's weirdly graceful, Grace Jones. So like she would be absolutely fine. Um, Reichelt came momentarily to prominence again in the 1940s in the United States when his likeness was claimed as the model for one of the figures that, that were strangely un-American in expression and garb in the WPA-funded mural at Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, New York, which is weird, but we're in the middle of the Red Scare, so... okay. You know, that shit's happening. In an incident reminiscent of the 1933 controversy over Diego Rivera's Man at the Crossroads mural at Rockefeller Center, a furore erupted over an image depicting two minor leftist aviators supposedly flanking a central portrait of Joseph Stalin. Hmm. 
although it's 1933, like the Allies at this point, I guess not quite because we're not in the war yet, but like probably not a popular guy. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't think he was. Po- I mean, was he popular with anybody really? No. No. Like, but he was he was useful for a right. period in time because yeah. he was willing like i'll just throw a million a million men most of them unarmed at the germans and we'll win that way okay joe you psychopath um the wpa already had an unwanted reputation as being sympathetic to the left and despite the artist august henkel's glib explanation of the accidental inclusion of a soviet red star and his claim that the image identified as Stalin was actually Reichelt. The murals were taken down and three of the four panels burned. Jesus. Um, it's a bit of an okay. extreme reaction. Uh, but also, like, it's a weird thing to say, oh, no, it's not Joseph Stalin. It's actually this fucking idiot that jumped off the Eiffel Tower and killed himself. Like, why is that a better explanation? Why are you <laughs> doing a mural of that guy? Uh, <laughs> is that a good inclusion these are uh, famous aviators this guy threw himself off a building like uh, it's all i could think of to cover for stalin <laughs> i mean like, he he had a mustache <laughs> and he looked a bit like stalin so he'll do um the story of reichelt's misadventure was also the subject of a 1993 french short film la taylor autrician written and directed by pablo lopez paradez and starring bruce myers that sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, I think anyway. I'm thinking Mike Myers. Yeah, me too. Uh, but that would have been yeah. called Le Splat. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. That would have been a perfect name. Also, like we can't find any French actors stupid enough to throw themselves off the Eiffel Tower. So we'll get an American. Um, <laughs> although there were no viable parachuting solutions for use in aeroplanes when Reichelt began developing his suit, a patent for a package parachute. And there it is again. Um, had been applied by Russian inventor. Gleb Kotel Nikov at virtually the same time as the jump in 1912, a design that was later employed in the First World War and didn't fail. Like nobody's parachute folded in on itself and turned him into a a giant shit covered lawn dart, you know. So that's the story of Franz Reichelt. He he, two at the same time that works. And if he just read a newspaper, because this guy jumping from the um, uh, the uh, Statue, Statue of Liberty. Liberty, yeah, that made the French newspapers because obviously, like the French created the Statue of Liberty, so it became news in France. Maybe, so... maybe that's why he was like, "Well, if that fucking guy's worked, <laughs> mine will surely go. work." Same thing. This was totally made of rubber and silk, right? <laughs> yeah, and and all sorts of weird shit. Um, yeah, I kind of, I don't know why I chose this one. I feel like it's kind of a perfect example of, and I'm not calling him an idiot because this guy was actually really successful. Uh, I mean, he's kind of stupid, but like in, in his, <laughs> I think the problem is his ambition and probably ego outweighed his skills so he'd become a successful dressmaker made a lot of money had a really good life but it wasn't enough he had that drive in him to try something different and to be this like i want to be a big famous inventor and i want to be the guy that invented the parachute and he couldn't do it he was a good dressmaker but he didn't understand engineering 
and that's a very different thing and like science and aerodynamic forces and breaking the wind pun intended um, <laughs> you know like he didn't understand that he was just a very good dressmaker and while that's an element of the skill that you need to design you know safety clothing it's not it's like maybe a component that's maybe 20 percent of the final yeah. thing you know like nowhere near enough yeah it's no not not at all and okay when when was darwin when did the darwin awards start <laughs> the darwin awards um i think that's like i feel like that's very recent like like turn of the 21st century but this guy is like prime darwin award candidate like, like so many opportunities so many yeah. signs like yes. i have to score him high no matter how awesome he was and good and like i Funny. feel bad scoring high yeah but what, like dude you can't ignore it like this is kanye west levels of delusion yeah you know? well, like he didn't have not any successful experiments no not a single one worked so why was he so sure that extra high equals more success instead of extra high equals twice as much failure you know? extra height equals let's try another experiment at extra height for god's sakes come on man and like <laughs> just, and, and the idea and like i get he was a showman and he was trying to get attention and he's trying to get this ten thousand franc life-changing prize but like throw one fucking dummy just one just to check the wind so you don't get blown back onto the fucking structure and have your skull cracked by the the eiffel tower you know, it's yeah. a strong breeze. You get blown straight back into a pillar, for Christ's sake. Like, so. Well, wasn't there like a bridge or something? Like, could he, he couldn't have done any? Was he out of mannequins? Is that what it was? I, like, mate, it I really have. need the 10,000 francs to buy some more mannequins for these tests. <laughs> That's it. He's like holding himself over. But no, oh my God. I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to know your score because I, I, I kind of wanted to cover him, but I didn't. Like, I wanted something a bit positive, but actually this is, like, a really good lesson in, like, know your limits. Yeah, know your limits. Like, have a friend that tells you, yeah. dude, come on, man. I think he had two and he ignored them. Oh, well, have a friend that will knock you out when you're going to do something that's going to kill yourself. Yes, please. Have a friend who's kind enough to give you a concussion instead of letting <laughs> you kill yourself. You will recover from the concussion. Yeah, so um, I this is probably going to be way higher than it needs to be, but just for the sheer amount of everything that he ignored and the mm. wind, the cold, the friends, the lawmen, the pile the of dead mannequins, <laughs> um, he's getting a 90. Nice, yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's totally justified because... There's, he's literally only got himself to blame for this. Um, I understand it's a pioneering time. People are taking risks, and some of them are getting really famous off it. The Wright brothers famously took a huge risk, and now they are etched into history. And, you know, Edison, a bunch of risks and theft. But, like, you know, uh, he's obviously written into history for a different reason. But then again, not I feel like a successful risk comes with a lot of planning, and I don't think he did any. From the research I could find, he wasn't like looking at like 
he wasn't doing calculations. He wasn't doing air velocity tests or anything like that. It was just chucking dummies out of windows, and that's not a test. Yeah, the, the no. risk is one thing, but in order to, to do it, you've got to have some sort of calculated risk. I know. Like, like I know, um, it, it's kind of a weird example. I know that in a certain situation, I always plan, like if I have to make a massive purchase or if we have to do something like quite major, I always have like plan B, C, D, E, and E. Like, if something goes wrong here, we can do this, or I can buy this instead, or we can fix it this way. There's always, like, another plan I had. This guy's only plan was that it was going to work. He didn't think about the negative consequences of his actions. He just did it. Where were those firemen with that ring and the fabric just running around trying to catch it? Where were they? Yeah, exactly. Like, what? Yeah. I guess it was so impromptu that they didn't have time to get there, and also, like... It's still Paris for the ring. Yeah, it's Paris and rush hour. Like there's there's so many like fucking cheese wagons in your way. Like get a there's a fucking guy climbing the Eiffel Tower. Um, but like yeah, I think ninety is fair because this is one of the purest forms of stupidity we've ever covered for sure. Yeah, there's there's no like malice in there. Like he's not hurting people. He's not doing it to get a, ru- a rush he's doing it really for publicity and money but actually it's just pure perfect stupidity in in human form and i guess the lesson as derek has mentioned in here is listen to the people that are trying to pull you back like i understand there are plenty of examples of people following through on risks and not listening to you know, oh, don't do this. You'll never be a success if you do this. And then they end up becoming a success. And good for them. We applaud the the positivity and all of that. But, you know, 99 times out of 100, there is significant failure when people tell you, listen, this is, this is going to end in disaster. Don't do this. It usually ends in disaster. So have a bit of a think before you throw yourself off a giant fucking tourist trap. Yeah. Oh God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could you imagine? I I I don't know. So that's um does that video have sound? No, uh newsreels didn't have that. Yeah, I think this is super early, actually really interesting. Like your super early days of cinema, they they didn't have sound because the sound equipment was like so noisy that they basically had to um dub that shit in afterwards. So uh, that's why silent movies and then like early audio stuff like the sound booth had to be in like a separate room and it was hot as fuck in there and yeah so you had to dub stuff in afterwards i might fully artist this and make us go viral on tiktok later just line up and down yeah you know like oh god so yeah there's no yeah just like a one of those ironically those those videos are called parachutes um Oh gosh! Uh, so, um, going, yeah, um, the footage is disturbing because it literally, like, if you can imagine, like, a clumsy human being falling off something, it just looks like that, and then he hits the ground, and you're like, shit. Uh, so, it's not the grimmest thing you'll have ever seen. You'll have seen worse things on like live television, like footage of war and stuff. Like, it's no worse than like that aerial footage of a helicopter taking out a bunch of 
people in a war or whatever. It's nowhere. It's Journalist. not as gruesome as that. Or journalists accidentally, you know, friendly fire. Um, so Franz Karl Reichelt, the tailor who thought he was Batman and threw himself off the Eiffel Tower, only to leave a six-inch deep crater in the fucking ground. Jeez. Take that, Saltburn. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a, a really uneven pavement tribute to him now, where there's just like a slight dip. I would, have, I would have immediately just put concrete in it and been like, this is a monument now. Yeah. Like charge people. Like you can you can reenact like the oh that got so dark. <laughs> <laughs> you can reenact the the, this, the finishing position. Man. Oh. Yeah, like there are so many things in Paris that you can pay to get into and queue hours to get into, but I would not want to be. Hey, this is where Franz Reichelt threw himself and landed like oh no no that's that's mm. too much but it probably it's probably a possibility oh, yeah, there's, to be there's a, probably a ghost tour there people yeah take for sure there'll be a walking tour well they'll be like oh that spot you're stepping in yeah that's why that guy landed and like, oh jesus like stepping back like oh no way so yeah franz reichelt uh one of our highest scores in a while actually a 90 and then we had um legendary skater what was your guy's name again i always forget Christian Hassoy. Christian Hassoy with a 15, actually, because he's got one of the best redemption arcs we've had in a very long time. Um, I was struggling between um, Franz Reichelt and a music mogul who is kind of frustrating and sad and a bit annoying more than like, we're not talking like disturbing, like some people in the music world are uh we're not talking that level but i may cover that person next time um you will they've actually had it as much as franz reichelt had a big influence on fashion the person i will cover next time will have had a huge influence on fashion purely Ooh. by accident yeah massive more their influence on fashion is almost as big as their impact on the music scene and their impact on the music scene is colossal huh. so i'm just gonna throw that one out there right now the next episode it, it's he's from the uk that's okay. all i'm gonna say huge okay. influence on fashion huge influence on music and a terrible terrible person okay so, yeah we're gonna we're gonna throw that one out there if you know your Music moguls from the UK, those clues, you should be able to piece it together, but I'll probably tell Derek off air. Um, <laughs> so that's been our show this week. I had a, kind of a lot of fun like researching this because you know what's going to happen. Like The second you start reading, like when I told you page two, um, Reichelt began to develop a parachute suit, you were like, oh no. Like you knew where this was going. <laughs> this yeah. wasn't going to be one of those. Oh, and he successfully landed, and everyone thought he was amazing. No, this guy's going to die. Yeah. You know? So you know where that's going. But um, I had a lot of fun going over it because it's one of those like moments in human history that you can't quite believe really happened. But boy, did it really happen! Yeah, and it was long enough ago that I can laugh really hard about it. Yeah, I feel like it's at a time when people were doing stupid shit as part of like 
kind of advancing human civilization and stuff. So yeah, well, I feel like if that was my great grandfather, I would mm-hmm. be laughing the hardest about it because I'd be like, "That yeah. dumbass." <laughs> you know, my great granddad threw himself off the Eiffel Tower and he died. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah no i i can i can totally get that whereas like people can be like oh you know my 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 relative my ancestors this guy was like a farmer and oh and he got kicked in in the head by a cow and that was like the highlight of his life and shit like this is a really interesting story and i bet the reichelt family have probably done okay from this i would imagine that they'll have written books or like licensed this because why wouldn't you although like he didn't have any kids so i guess his sister or whatever but you know like there's there's enough there i hope i hope they found peace by making a little bit of money off it it's an interesting story so yeah i would i would watch this dark episode of like a, a tv show or maybe a short film like this could be an interesting film not as fun as yours or as nice as yours but definitely like like a coen brothers type thing where like you know this shit is gonna go dark so yeah if you twist it right yeah so joel and ethan um if you're out there listening to our podcast um we are happy to sell you the rights to france like <laughs> even though we don't own anything we just <laughs> highlighting the story but like i think this could be a dark comedy classic actually but you know where it's going anyway so that's our show this week if you would like to help us out by putting us in a position to be financially secure and making this our full-time gig so we can go weekly. I would love to go weekly with this. Um, yes. Go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots, signing up for one of our tiers, getting one of the free gifts, but also access to the 40 posts we've got where we've got all of us, well, a lot of our scripts, some of the videos that we've created for the episodes, uh, behind the scenes pictures, a bunch of never released episodes that are Patreon exclusives, interaction with us. You get your name called out on the podcast every time when I remember it properly. Um, all of that, go and sign up and you'll uh, be able to have closer contact with us and also follow us on Instagram at history. History's greatest idiots and Twitter slash X are greatest idiots. And uh, yeah, we will be back very soon with that person I just teased. Um, and Derek, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye, everybody. See you all very soon. Take care now. Bye. <laughs>